Welcome to episode 225. Does your church have conflict? Well, welcome to the club. But will this conflict derail your revitalization efforts? We're talking about strategies for unity. That's today on The Reclaimed Leader. Welcome to The Reclaimed Leader, a podcast by two pastors trying to lead their churches through revitalization and change. Their mission, to share their journey with you so it might help you in yours. And now, here, please welcome our hosts, Jason Tucker and Jesse Skiffington. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 225 of The Reclaimed Leader, Equipping Churches for Turnaround Change. I'm Jason Tucker, here with Jesse Skiffington. How's it going, Jesse? I'm doing pretty good, Jason, and I, I really enjoy our conversations. It's hard to believe 225 times we've been Jeez, I know, right? talking shop about church and leadership, and um, and I just, I've, I've, I'm really grateful for all the conversations that we've had, continue to have, and, um, you know, we're saying we're recording now, but some of my favorite times are the they, you know, before we hit the record button, some of the things that we get to talk about together in our particular churches. And I just want to encourage folks out there, if you are feeling isolated in ministry or just feeling disconnected from a, a vision and direction, find a couple of other pastors to talk to regularly. Listen to something like this. I mean, hopefully our conversations are helpful, but find some people to process ministry with. It's, it's just so life-giving. I'm sure a lot, most of our listeners have that, but just anyway, my way of saying thanks, Jason. I, I always enjoy our talks. Oh, and, and thank you too. Cause I feel like it just makes like whatever we talk, even just before we hit record every week, I'm like, okay, I'm not crazy. Okay, he's thinking that too. Okay, <laughs> right. these are the same things going on in, in their church, right? So yeah, it's really helpful just to, to kind of ground you because it is, what we do is, it's strange. We're around people all the time and yet it's very isolating. Right. Yeah. It's a very unusual thing. And it's contextual. You have, you know, New Jersey is different than Washington and, you know, everybody, we got our own kind of stuff that we're working on where we are, but at the same time, it's the conversations are so similar in nature. The principles, the ideas behind them, um, uh, are, I think, are sound. So anyway, grateful for that. I'm looking forward to our conversation today because I think this is a really important one. We're sort of we're talking about a um, a step that kind of comes before the first step of revitalization, if you will, or maybe it's an evaluation or a way of looking at our congregations and going, how are we doing with this thing? Because that's going to have a lot to say about our ability to do some of the revitalization and change that as pastors, as leaders, we want to do. We think our leaders are excited about. But if we don't have this or if we're not thinking, at least in terms of this and working on it, it's going to make that revitalization and change a lot harder. So what are we talking about today, Jason, and why is this such an important conversation? We're talking about conflict in your church and unity in your church. And the reason this is so important is that. I mean, every church will have conflict. I mean, every time you get human beings together, you're going to have a certain level of conflict. But if you hit a point in your church life where the conflict is just simply sucking too much energy or or the level of people in your congregation that are divided on a particular issue is high enough, you're not going to be able to get revitalization done. So it, like, for example, if you, maybe some pastors out there, you've had interim training or kind of crisis training, you know that when a congregation is really going through it, maybe it's something with their pastor, maybe something that happened, you know, sort of big thing that happened in the church. And there's so much conflict, you know, that you really have to take a step back 
and work through that before you could really start thinking about anything else. But the question, the important thing is that if every church has conflict, well, how do you know if your church has enough unity to move forward with, you know, some of the hopes and dreams and God-given vision that, you know, that's yours to do? Yeah, because if you wait until there's no conflict, you'll never do anything. Right? <laughs> Forget it. There's yeah. always conflict. And especially when you introduce change or new direction or a vision for the future that's different than where you are. I mean, that's that's leaders do this kind of thing. And so there's going to be conflict that happens along the way. And I think there's kind of different degrees or ways of talking about thinking about that conflict and the degree of unity that we need in order to to move forward. And you, you said this before we hit record that even the, the process of working on revitalization can bring unity yes. uh, amongst a, a group that's kind of maybe scattered or not moving in the same direction, or maybe even has some uh, conflict or even significant conflict, but we have to do some of that addressing that conflict first and, and working towards uh, some uh, restoration or even just some harmony. If we want to use that word before uh, we can really do that, that work revitalization. So how do we do it, Jason, if there's conflict or if there's sort of um, a, a division in the church, how can we work on that so that then we can move forward together? Yeah, I think the first thing is to assess the level of the conflict or division. I, I think we start making mistakes when we either uh, sort of overestimate or underestimate the amount of conflict in the church. Like sometimes we overestimate it because you know, all the emails you're getting in your inbox on a subject are all the angry ones. But actually, if you knew, if you knew the real numbers, it could be like 90% or for it. It's just, you know, distorted because the unhappy people are often the loudest. That's right. Yeah. And we've talked about that here before, you know, that, that the 10% can hijack the whole mission because loud, it seems like it's large. It seems like there's a bunch of momentum behind it. When people are screaming their heads off, it doesn't necessarily make it the case. In fact, if you push back, and you say, well, who else agrees with you? A lot of times they will say, well, me and, and my spouse or, you know, me yeah. and a couple of people in my small group or something. Everybody, so who's the, everybody's who's the, saying it. Everybody's saying, well, right? who's the everybody, right? Anyway, so you might be overestimating the conflict, but you also might be underestimating the conflict. What does that look like? How do we avoid that mistake? Yeah, that's that's actually more common because it, it usually happens when we sort of lost the pulse of the congregation in a certain area. And that happens with pastors. I think it happens from time to time to everybody. You sort of lose your finger on the pulse of something. So it really, the way you find that out is addressing it head on and communicating. So we had a situation in our church a couple of weeks ago where somebody was unhappy. I mean, I know it's hard to believe somebody was unhappy at, at our church, but uh, at church. Well, wow. yeah. So, so um, about a decision that we had made and you know, had sort of led on that there were more people that were upset about this. And and it was starting to come to me sideways, starting to come to me through other people. And so I just, uh, and then this person had reached out to me and said, I, I encourage you for the leadership to reconsider this idea. And so I emailed back and I'm like, okay, let's not do email. Let's have a conversation. And I'm happy. First of all, leadership team will talk about it. And I'll get back to you and we'll talk. And we had a great conversation. And I discovered that it wasn't something that was widely believed, right? Um, it was really her. And then in the end, it, it really landed in a good place. It landed in a healthy place. I could have 
heard the original email or hearing from other people. And I could have magnified that like, oh my gosh, I think a bunch of people are upset. The only way I could find that out is just deciding to communicate directly. And, and I know that sounds really basic and like, well, no kidding, but how many times do we choose to not communicate directly because we're afraid of the emotional energy it's going to take to do that? Sure. Yeah. And I think it can be intimidating to have those conversations. And frankly, we're just been through a lot, so we don't want to deal with it, right? No, like I don't want to move forward and tough, you know, like it and let's move on. I do think sometimes we underestimate that, you know, that there actually may be more conflict going on than we want to acknowledge because there is, it takes a lot of energy to address it. And, and that's where I go, okay, as a mature leader, we have to be willing to deal with reality as it is. And so how do we go about finding out the degree of, of disagreement or, or difference. And in, in, there's lots of great assessments and things we can do to just give some surveys to people in the church, not asking, you know, how do you feel about our conflict in the life of the church, but asking about various things going on in the life of the church programs or Sunday mornings and all kinds of stuff. And you can begin to see a difference of opinion that, that is maybe evident that, that shows some divisions. And so yeah. um, when there is a, uh, a, a more substantial amount of conflict or um, maybe a different way to put it is you have a church that isn't able to handle conflict in a healthy way. And so it ends up becoming this sort of toxic pitting against each other and, and thinking badly about each other or whatever, working against each other. What do we do with something like that? Because that, I mean, that's not an environment that I want to be in and work in. How do we begin to address some of that stuff? So again, you know, back to our original thing, assessing the conflict. I, I think two things. I think one, as a pastor or leader, we all need people around us that we trust who are going to tell us when conflict exists. So if you surround yourself with people who won't come to you and be able to tell you hard things, that's a problem. I don't mean, I, I mean, everybody's got to do that, but you need some. So for me, one of those people is Pastor Teresa. We had her on earlier in the podcast. She's been here at Tower Hill forever. Um, she is part-time now, but she gives us like full-time work. I mean, she's just such a gift to the church, but one of her greatest gifts to me personally is she'll tell me when she's sensing a difference between people just talking to complain or complaining to talk and real division over something. And she'll come tell me and she'll say, Hey, look, these people are talking and they are not complainers. And they don't like X, Y, Z. And I think you should know that. Right. So you need some people that are willing to tell you that hard thing. All right. And Jason, I think that's really important to have people that have their ear to the ground that are listening uh, to not just the usual suspects who are complaining about everything. I mean, there's some people you can't win with no matter what you do. They're always going to have a gripe. But when people that are more maybe in the middle that don't usually complain, when they when they start saying, hey, something's not quite right here and you find that coming upstream, um, uh, that's something to pay attention to. So having someone like Teresa or your staff team or key leaders that are kind of have their ear to the ground, taking the temperature uh, and having, you know, what's what's your sense of what's going on out there? And when they read something, that's that's time to stop and pay attention. Yeah. And then also there's some things you can do to try to assess it. So our friend, friend of the podcast, Dr. Bob Weitzel had something that he wrote about, you know, he was talking about how do you know if your church is experiencing severe conflict or is it more just like dissonant harmony? I like that dissonant harmony. Um, you know, like, is it just kind of regular church stuff or is this really an issue that's going to hold us back from doing the revitalization work that's ahead of us? 
And he said, to find out, ask yourself the following four questions. Number one, does your church have a guiding vision or mission, which most of the people work toward? Number two, do committees, choirs, Sunday school classes, and teams focus mostly upon finding the good in others inside and outside the church? Three, when unexpected challenges occur, do the people pull together for church survival? And four, does the congregation view itself as a faith community that at times agrees to disagree? If you said yes to three out of the four, then you probably have dissonant harmony. If so, you can unite the congregation around a turnaround mission and vision. But if not, the conflict may be more severe. Now, so then what do you do if the conflict is severe? You have to address it. And that's what I would encourage you to go through a third-party process. If it's that much, I would encourage you to have somebody come in. And usually, so in our, usually there's denominational resources to do that. And I'd encourage you, find someone that's good at this stuff. And maybe like a trained interim pastor or somebody who's, who's got some specialty here and submit to a process of conflict resolution or reconciliation, because you're going to need to do that if you're going to hope to move anything forward. Now, if you feel like it's not quite so severe, that's when you can actually do some other things to unify the congregation. So, I, I mean, I'm not trained in the uh, severe conflict stuff, but I know that there are people that are and that they're really good at it. And I think, what do you think stops pastors from doing that? And it's like, I don't know, do we do we want to suffer <laughs> or yeah. is it that we're ashamed that our congregations experiencing conflict this severe? I mean, what do you think it is? Yeah, I think it, it's probably some, some of both of those things or we, to acknowledge it is to acknowledge some degree of failure on our part, perceived failure on our yeah. part as a leader. Um, it's uh, yeah, there's, there's nobody wants to have a congregation that has really deep seated conflict. I mean, that's not a fun thing to admit. Uh, and then the people pleaser part of us as pastors that we have a lot of time, I think, resists that too, because we know that if we we address it, there's going to be some really painful, hard conversations that are going to come with that. And are we up for that? Can we handle it? Maybe we should just go find another call in another church with less conflict. Well, guess what? Conflict's going with you everywhere you go, <laughs> It's going right? to follow you, yeah. The degree of conflict, of course, is going to depend. And I think there is there it is worth it to work toward a healthier congregational culture, that dissonant harmony. Conflict is good. It can generate amazing ideas when it's healthy. And and yet when it's unhealthy, when there's toxicity and toxic people, that's exhausting. And you shouldn't want to be a part of a culture like that. So it's either address it, bring someone in that can help heal the congregation, or maybe even invite some of the people that are maybe least healthy to, to move on to something else. Um, but having an outside voice to help do that um, you can then be the pastor for that congregation yeah. going through that rather than being the expert who comes in and is kicking somebody out or having a hard conversation here or there. You get to be that pastoral voice. And so I think the power of a third person is it positions you as the pastor in a different way. Yeah, um, You're there alongside and with the congregation rather than the one that's sort of um, causing the havoc that someone like that will likely do. Well, and plus, what if the congregation has conflict with me? I can't, I can't then lead them out of it <laughs> if the conflict is with me. I mean, that's that's yeah. going to be a struggle. But yeah, there's but a t- yeah, yeah. How do you prevent severe conflict, and how do you work through conflict in your church? 
the number one thing, this is number one, and it's not even close, is communication. Yeah, thousand percent. I mean, think about every relationship that you've had. Every relationship depends on good communication. And, you know, it's sort of like, you know, pastors, you know, when you're doing your premarital classes with couples and they're uh, getting ready to get married. I mean, that's what you talk about is communication in every relationship, because what happens when you feel like you're not heard is you get angry, you hold resentments, and then it starts coming out sideways. And then you're not just talking about some simple decision you're making in the life of the church. It's now become an emotional issue that you're, you know, kind of standing your ground on and, and somebody from the outside comes in and they're just like, what the heck is this about? Because it's, it's clearly not about that. <laughs> it's not about, you know, changing the color of the carpet. It's about all this other stuff that's kind of log jammed in your hearts because there hasn't been good communication. So good communication flows a few different ways. First, from the pastor to the congregation, to the staff, to the elders, right? The, it's pastoral communication. There's so many different ways that there's really no excuse for us to not be good at communicating. You know, we can, we can send emails, we can do short videos, we could pump things out you know, on social media, we can do things from up front. We have the microphone. We, I mean, there's all sorts of ways we can do it. And what do I mean is communicate with the congregation. If you see a fork in the road or a decision that's coming that you're going to be talking about, even if, if your session or your you know, governing board has not made a decision, let them know that decision's coming. Give them a heads up. Absolutely. Right? So say there's something big go- going on and like, hey, we're thinking about uh, changing our Sunday school curriculum or, or changing our entire model of youth ministry. I don't want them finding out after the decision's made that we were going to think about doing that. And then usually we don't communicate it. We just kind of approve it. Like, okay, we're good to go. And the congregation's like, what? What are you talking about? I I didn't even know this was happening. And sometimes people get mad. And sometimes people get mad because like, gee, I actually would have supported this. But I'm really frustrated. Nobody talked to me. Nobody said anything. Yeah. And Jim Mead was uh, has been a guest on the podcast as well. He, He had a way, the way he talked about this idea was get it up and get it out. Yeah. In other words, like name it, put it out there in front of everybody. If it's a conflict between people in the church or something, just name it. But if it's something, a decision that's going to be made or something that's being considered that has the potential to be divisive or controversial, that's okay. It changes that way. And not everybody's going to be on board. But by getting out ahead of it, naming it, saying, hey, we're thinking about taking our pews out and replacing them with all chairs. Do you think that was a controversial decision at Rainview <laughs> when we did that? A thousand percent, yes. Yeah. And because we said it ahead of time and we said, we want your input. Um, not everybody's going to get their way on this. And what we are really grateful for is a congregation that's willing to stick together, even when a decision we make doesn't go our way or what we hoped would happen. So we started to name things and say things about even the posture that we hoped people who didn't get the outcome of the votes and things the way that they would have wanted it, giving them a place to stand and say, you know what, I didn't agree with this, but I'm still, I love my church and we're going to move forward together. So get it up, get it out, communicate about it, name it, be transparent. There's nothing to hide. You don't want people to find out things later on or only when they get into leadership or things like that. So I I think it's spot on. So over-communicate and do it. Over-communicate. And remember, you set, you set the narrative. Don't wait for people to fill in their own story to something going on because it's usually, it's usually not the right one and it's, and it's usually a divisive one. Set the narrative. 
hey, the reason why we're thinking about doing this is because we think this is really going to move us forward in reaching the next generation for Jesus. And this is why we think, here's a couple of reasons why we think that. And so we think this decision has, has kingdom impact. And, and we think timing is yesterday on this thing. We really got to move or whatever it is. You said it. And that brings us back to vision in that, that those questions that Bob Weitzel said is if your church, he was getting at was if your church doesn't have a vision that you're rallying around or pulling toward, then you're going to have, you're at the mercy of everybody's own competing visions. And that in and of itself is going to create disunity, it, but you need a, you need a vision so that you can make decisions and help people understand in a, in a direction over time. And if you've clarified the vision, they're going to understand the, the decisions you're now making to try to meet that vision. Hey, it, because remember our vision, we, we think that this is going to help us bring people into Marine View. We think going to chairs is a strategic move because it utilizes our best space and makes it the most flexible now for a lot of different things we do. It's got our most technology in it, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you're talking about. And we think this helps us fulfill the vision. If they understand the vision, they're going to come with you on the rest of the journey. Even if they don't love the decision, if they understand why you made it, that in and of itself creates unity. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's such a good distinction because we're not talking, you said something, I think at the outset, unity is different than conformity. Um, just because, um, so unity is a willingness to continue to move forward in a common direction, right? We're moving forward uh, toward the mission God has given us together, whether we always agree on the details of how we get there or not, but we can, we can agree to disagree. We can move forward. Whereas if we're waiting for conformity, if we were waiting to, for a hundred percent approval, before we decided to do Yikes. anything in the sanctuary. I mean, you just stand still. And I do think a lot of times leaders, pastors, sessions, boards, we get into the trap of waiting for far more consensus than is necessary uh, in order to make a change. Because if we are transparent, if we communicate the decision well within the context of the vision that we have, then people are going to understand, even if they don't agree and we can move forward. We'll move on to the next one. Maybe their idea is going to be the one that is picked next time. And yet yeah. we're moving forward together. So, yeah, um, yeah don't wait for conformity because, um, I mean, unif- uniformity, I think, is the word you use. It's even better. Yeah. Either, I, either one works. Yeah. Either one works. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, you know, so, so with unity, work on your vision statement. Come up with a vision for the church that you can rally the troops around. Again, this is going to help you with your unity and then communicate that vision in all the decision-making threads that, that you're following, right? So that people can understand. It's that over-communicate, over-vision. This helps to bring unity because they understand the why of the decisions that are made. And if they understand the why, they're most likely to be inspired to get on board. So let me ask you a question because I'm sure maybe others have this question. How often do you communicate the vision and mission of Tower Hill on a Sunday? Is that like an every week kind of thing or do you focus on it from time to time or how does that show up? Yeah, I drip it in maybe, maybe once or twice a month in some way. Um, and it it could be something as like, say we have a infant baptism or something. And that's a natural moment to, to say, Hey, you know, baptism is the beginning of this journey of faith. And, you know, we, as a church, we want to lead people to a growing relationship with Jesus. And we think this starts uh, with families and babies, and we're making a promise to help them to do that. So everything we do as a church, 
is to help bring them to know and love Jesus. Yeah. Right. So that's a natural way in. to do it. Right. Yeah. So right. it has to be what I guess what I'm getting at there is if it's if it's in us and if we're really if we believe in that vision or that's deep inside of us, it comes naturally out in different moments. And so, yeah, you know, at Marine View, we'll, we'll say that kind of stuff. We're like, we can't wait to see what your next step to go deeper with Jesus is. Because we believe that when you take that step to grow as a parent or you go to a Bible study or you're in a group, that your understanding of Jesus' love for you grows. And then you can't help but reach wider with his love to those around you. So that's, yeah. that's what we want to be about. You want to grow your faith, the understanding of the love of Jesus, go deeper with Jesus and reach wider with his love. So, I mean, there's ways. Yeah. So for us as the key leaders or the primary communicators, I think it really does start with us to kind of lead the charge on, on how we communicate, yeah. not only about conflict, but about our vision that can lead us forward together, even when we disagree. Yeah. I mean, and that's just it, right? That is part of the recipe for creating unity is doing that well. And then uh, once a year, I'll do like a more formal Maybe it's a one-off. Maybe it's a short sermon series. Where we're talking about vision and then kind of what's next, what we're thinking, what leadership's talking about. So yeah. it's a it's a message, but it's also a, kind of a vision Sunday kind yeah, of. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stockholders meeting kind of thing. It, right. Cast in the future. Yeah. Um, so vision statement, communication, and then other things you can do to create unity is just like have fun, do fun stuff as a congregation together. I think. Sometimes, especially when you're dealing with um, the serious matters of the gospel and uh, all of its implications, it's easy to lose sight of fun. And I don't know if I'm just wish missing youth ministry, but I feel like adult ministry is no different. It is just like youth ministry. Fun is the oil that greases the engine of ministry. And we should be having fun together. We should be doing stuff and enjoying each other's company. We had a guy um, in the first church that I served. Oh, it was great. He used to, he, we paid him. I don't, I don't remember what we paid him. It wasn't much, but he came and he did uh, like minute to win it games with the congregation, like a family game night. And it, I could not believe the hit this thing was because it sounded like the most churchy thing ever, but it didn't come off that way to people. And people had a blast and minute to win it. If you don't remember those games, it's like, you know, can you pull every Kleenex out of the box, you know, how, or how many can you get like stuff like that? Yeah, it's just yeah, goofy. Yeah. Anybody can do it. And I got to tell you, that was one of the most unifying things that we did that year. Goofy as it sounds, I just think finding ways to have fun together helps. It takes the teeth out of some of that toxicity that comes across over issues because now you're remembering, oh my gosh, you know, I, I like hanging out with this guy. Yeah, these guys are these are great people. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I think having fun together is something that um, people will be especially looking for in the coming months as we come out. You know, it looks like we're coming out of the pandemic, or at least the way that the intensity of it. Uh, and so now there's there's great opportunity for that kind of uh, just thinking outside the box, having fun together. And yeah, I think you can bring some of that into Sunday mornings too, around the way that you invite people to greet each other or just the little different pieces that you bring in. You got to be willing to be a little bit playful, as serious as church is and as, as serious as the gospel is, there's room for fun, for joy, for uh, a little bit of playfulness there as well. That just um, yeah. makes it makes it a good, great community to be a part of. Yeah. And, and I don't want, you know, again, I always feel like there's this pastor police that's listening in on the podcast and saying, what about prayer pastor? 
What about, isn't that, and you know what? You're right. But I'm assuming prayer is an integral part of this thing the whole way through. So that's why I didn't lead with it. But I just, I felt like that little voice was saying, you should probably mention. I mean, actually, I mean, one of our favorites, I was listening to a reading a Dan Ryland uh, blog post recently, and he was just saying, do you start with prayer or do you end with prayer when it comes to your projects and stuff? And and I I appreciate it. It was a little bit of a reminder again, right? Um, This is, you know, start, start on the front end by asking God for provision and, and all that here. And don't get to the end and then be like, God, I'm desperate now. Can you please help? Right. So we do need those kinds of reminders, but here we, we, you know, hopefully those things are understood that, that, that important spiritual discipline, that life with God is happening alongside all of these ideas that we're always talking about. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, it none better of this, be. otherwise none of this is going to work. Absolutely. Yeah. Nothing yeah. is going to work. Yeah. <laughs> like, like prayer is essential every step of the way, personally, communally, um, asking for God to live. Because you know what happens too is the prayer piece is you're actively surrendering your will or at least you're trying to because you might really want to see something to happen. But if you're constantly praying, hey, God, tweak this thing if it needs to, like guide us different. Let us hear your voice in this. If you're doing that all the time, you got a high percentage shot at faithfulness. <laughs> but it's got to be in conversation with God. So I just want to at least say that. Yeah, I anybody to think that I was good. forgetting prayer, but nice. But so unity, not uniformity or conformity, right? Um, being able for churches to make decisions and the people who didn't win to feel like they're okay moving forward. That's really unity. And there'll always be some dissonance, some dissonant harmony involved. But listen, it, it's really, it's like every relationship or it's like a marriage. It's like if, you don't communicate, things go bad. Yeah. So communication compromise happens in the context of communication, right? Where I'm right, willing exactly. to come your direction because I've heard your perspective and I, I begin to understand a little more. So I love it. Dissonant harmony is a good one. Some there's some great chords out there in the music world that are dissonant harmony, right? Yeah. So um that's that's the sound of the church is unity but not uniformity. It is dissonant harmony. But there is a time when there's the conflict is so deep-seated, where the interpersonal relationships are so difficult and uh, it's unhealthy. That culture has gotten to be to the level of toxic, that change, it doesn't matter. You know, you got to deal with that thing first. And so, yeah. yeah. So have the courage, if that's your situation, have the courage to face up to that reality and then go get some help, get some outside voices to come in. And then, uh, but if you have more of that dissonant harmony, you know, that's, uh, don't be afraid to introduce some change in the midst of that, because that's where that's where the life of the church is lived as we move forward. So I love it. All right, folks. Well, I hope this is helpful for you. This is really our whole goal is to, you know, talk through this and to think about, you know, pastors out there who maybe don't have a network of pastors that they're able to connect with all the time. We're hoping this is it for you. We want to create this environment so that you feel seen, that you feel like uh, you're not crazy for (laughs) all the things that you're facing and that you feel encouraged and hopefully equipped. Uh, Speaking of equipping, we are, brand new thing is starting today. So you're going to see in your email, we haven't sent out an email in months. Uh, We're doing a lot of stuff. And then once, once summer hit and uh, COVID came, you know, kind of roaring back, things went on pause for us on the podcast. That's for sure. We, we stopped emailing our, our folks and 
Uh, I don't know. Some of you are probably glad that you haven't gotten emails. <laughs> You're like, thank you for doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought it was a gift. Yeah, that's right. But um, we, we are, you're going to get an email. If you subscribe with us, you're going to get an email in your inbox today on something new called Revitamin. So it's church revitalization nuggets in about a minute. Revitamins. All right. So as goofy as that is, trying to make it memorable. And so uh, today, the first episode is up. So you're going to get an email about that. And if for some reason you don't find that in your inbox, it's it's on our Facebook page, also on something called revitamins.online because I could have purchased revitamins.com for $20,000. <laughs> nice. And I chose not to do that. <laughs> Thanks. That was according to GoDaddy because wow. the explanation was, this is a premium name. Hmm. So right. a lot of money so, for that premium name. Yeah, yeah, I'm it's not quite the investment I had in mind. So yeah, yeah. I think it was nine, nine dollars. I was able nice. to get good choice. That was a better sizable size of investment, I think. But these are gonna be fun. I can't yeah. wait to hear this one, Jason. A great idea. I love the name. Uh it's good to chuckle. We're being playful, right? It's fun to chuckle yeah. at ourselves, but then to go, you know what? Just to even stop and to think briefly for just a moment can can help kind of cre- get the creative juices going for each of us. And so um, just wanting to, you know, I can't wait to hear this first one. It's going to be good. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks everyone for listening and uh, can't wait to catch you here next time. I think we're going to do a series coming up on uh, post-pandemic church. And um, so I'm lo- looking forward to that. So uh, hopefully you'll get a chance to, gosh, hopefully we'll all be post-pandemic here soon. And as life continues to open up, that our churches will continue to thrive. And uh, just a reminder that ministry is hard, but it is so much better when we do it together. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to Reclaimed Leader. Join us next time for more insights, interviews, and resources to help you in your leadership journey.